Welcome to another episode here at the Midnight Founders Podcast. We're so excited to be with you today. This is AJ Rounds from Rev Road and Jake McCarg from CB Vault. Here at the Midnight Founders Podcast, we focus on telling behind the scenes stories for what makes a successful entrepreneur. We're excited for another week. Here we go. We are excited to be here on another episode of the Midnight Founders Podcast with the Executive Director of the Center for Entrepreneurship at Utah State University, the John M. Huntsman School of Business. We got all that in. <laughs> it's a mouthful, <laughs> but they're doing some really cool things. So welcome, Mike Glauser. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. Yeah, this is uh, this is exciting. You've come all the way down from Logan, so we appreciate uh, the drive and the effort to get here. So cool. Well, um, this is exciting because uh, both Jake and I are both on the board for Center for Entrepreneurship, and we finally get to have you on the podcast and talk about what you're doing up there, your journey getting there, and some of the cool things that you've been able to accomplish. Um, so how did you get into entrepreneurship and start this journey out, Mike? So when I was in college, I thought it would be really fascinated to, fascinating to learn how to build really cool companies mm-hmm. for some reason. That was my passion. I thought if I could learn how to build companies that had great products and services that everyone wanted, that filled important needs, but even more importantly, that would be really great places for people to work, I thought that would be cool. That'd be a great skill set. So I went straight through school, uh, which was a mistake, actually. I did a bachelor's, master's, and PhD all at once. At one school or multiple Uh, institutions? University of Utah and Purdue University. Okay, cool. And so then I got a teaching job. I was 27 years old teaching in an MBA program in North Carolina. And I walked into the first class and with a lot of bravado, I wrote my name on the board, Dr. Glauser. I turned around and I was the youngest guy in that room by 15 to 20 years. So these were all business owners, executives. And, you know, I was this young, new professor. I'd studied organizations and taught about organizations and So I quickly realized that if I wanted to be a thought leader in this field, I needed to leave that safe harbor of academics and go build some companies. And that's a little bit frightening as a university professor. If you go out, try, and then you fail, then you come back as the guy that couldn't do it, you know. And so uh, my wife and I actually did due diligence for about a year on three different companies, and we selected one that was most suited to our skill set that we were also the most passionate about that looked like it had the best chance of success. So we built a large company in the frozen dessert industry. We thought if we could build... Um, ice cream, you're speaking ice my language right yogurt. now. <laughs> That's why he's at <laughs> yeah. Utah State, right? Yes, the I ice cream. It. There's yeah. the connection. So uh, we actually created the products at Utah State, even though I didn't attend as a student. Um, but we thought if we, could, if we could create this incredible frozen dessert, a yogurt or an ice cream that tasted as good as Ben and Jerry's but had no fat in it, I mean, it would be a killer. It would be a winner. So we spent a lot of time, and that's what we did. We created a product line of 30 products, low calories, no fat, with a really rich, creamy taste. And then we wholesaled those products under the brand Northern Lights uh, around the country. And then we retailed the products under the brand Golden Spoon, Golden Swirl. And uh, built it to about, we had 600 employees, a multi-million dollar business. And uh, so 10 years in, I got a phone call from a, guy from Toronto, he um, was coming to the U.S. buying specialty food companies. He said, Mike, I want to come down and talk to you. I want to buy your company. And of course, I said, it's not for sale. And he said, of course, everything's for sale for the right price and the right terms and the right conditions. So were you, were you based here in Utah at the time? Or so we were, were you based, based in Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City. But you were nationwide at that time. Uh, we had stores all throughout the Western United States and then uh, our wholesale product around the country and even overseas, we were exporting it 
And so he came and um, did some due diligence and made an offer. And uh, I said, there's no way this offer is going to fly. My board won't accept it. And he said, okay, write down a number at the bottom of the page that you would accept. And so I wrote down a much bigger number. It was 35% larger. Wow. And uh, his eyes got big and he said, okay, let me, let me get back to you tomorrow. And he came back the next day and said, okay, we'll do this deal in two conditions. Number one, we're moving the office to Dallas because we have a full staff of people and uh, we just don't need you. And I said, that's fine. I didn't want to run a company I didn't own. And it was a cool 10-year experiment and it was successful. And then he said, and this is the big deal killer. If you don't, if you don't take this, uh, I've got to get out, leave and get on a plane and go home. And I said, okay, what is it? And he said, you have to take cash. And I held this concerned look for about two seconds. Uh, okay, we'll take cash. <laughs> they were a publicly traded company. And Where's we the suitcase? <laughs> you know, I didn't think my board would go from <laughs> taking stock in a company traded on the Toronto Exchange. And so that was it. Um, so that, that, that like was an a marvelous deal. experience from yeah. concept you know, to success, to an exit was so great. I thought what I want to do the rest of my career is help other people have the same experience. And so that's what I've done ever since is I've, you know, taught entrepreneurship. I write books on entrepreneurship and articles and help uh, young entrepreneurs and invest in companies. And, and uh, now I'm at Utah State. So great. So that's a quick background. I love that you just glassed over the fact that like you invested so much time and money into getting a PhD and you taught for one semester and you were like, listen, we got to practice what we preach. I'm going to take the risk and go do this on my own. Like, I think that's a huge step of faith that probably a lot of people wouldn't be willing to make. Well, and, and I wonder too, it, do you feel like, and there's a lot of people that come on and have different feelings about higher education right now. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on about that just online and social media and whatever, but is, is that a missing piece where a, a lot of folks don't do that step? Uh, and then they're teaching things that they may or may not have experience in just because they haven't done it yet. Do, do you feel like that's an issue or a problem with some of the higher ed that's going on right now? Yeah, I, you know, I feel like an entrepreneur inside a bureaucracy at Utah State, but because we're well-funded with the Huntsman money and other funds that we've raised, we have lots and lots of freedom. We're not really bound by the bureaucracy very much. We can do a lot of things that we want to do. And so to build a center and to build our international program and to help other students build businesses has been really, really satisfying. But I went to a conference in Washington, D.C. with about 40 uh, center directors and professors of entrepreneurship. And there was only three of us there that had ever built and sold a company. And one of the workshops was how do you convince your students you're credible to teach entrepreneurship even though you've never, never done it? And the argument, well, we have lots of professors teaching marketing that have never really held executive jobs, and they teach accounting. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's less unusual now to have a center director or a professor that has built and sold a company than it was even 10 years ago, or uh, for sure 20 years ago. But I think it is, it is a problem. The students tend to look at our adjuncts that have uh, built companies or that manage companies with a little bit more credibility than some of the professors that have just read books. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, everyone on this podcast knows I talk about it all the time. I'm an Aggie. I went, <laughs> I did the undergrad route hey. and the graduate degree at, at Utah State. I love Utah State. Um, met my wife up there and everything. So a huge fan. But um, how did you, I mean, 
you didn't go to Utah State, you know, for any of your schooling, it, were, it was other schools and things. How did you get recruited to, and I know it was some, it was a scenario where you were recruited, you know, it's something, not something you applied to. How did you get pulled up to Utah State and, and start doing the cool things you're doing for the center up there? So Doug Anderson is an incredible dean. He's one of the best deans I've ever met or ever worked with. He's a business person. He got his PhD at Harvard and taught at Harvard and then built his consulting firm, a large successful firm. And and he's just such a joy to work with. And uh, I was asked to speak at Entrepreneurship Week. It's about 12 years ago and gave the keynote address. And afterwards he uh, pulled me aside and said, uh, I want to chat with you. And he offered me a job. And I said, you know, I, I live in Salt Lake. I really can't move to Logan. My wife has a, you know, a bit, we have a business in Salt Lake. And he says, well, that's awesome. You don't have to move to Logan. He said, I live in Salt Lake, and a lot of the faculty members live in Salt Lake or Bountiful. And we're the land-grant college, so we cater to the entire state of Utah. And our center is, serves all the campuses. We have nine large campuses and about 33 small satellite campuses. And a lot of our uh, board members and donors are in Utah County and Salt Lake County and Summit County. And if I lived in Logan, I'd be driving back and forth even more than I do now. So I go to Logan a couple days a week, and then I work out of my office here in Salt Lake the rest of the time. Hmm. Okay, very cool. Um, and so you've been there about 12 years at Utah State? Is that 12 years. Is that right? Just finished my 12th year. Wow, congratulations. I went thinking I'd stay three to five and... I'm going back for year 13, so <laughs> that's how much I like the Huntsman School of Business and Utah State and our colleagues up there. It's just, it's really an incredible place. We're, we're focused on students first. You know, a lot of universities say that, but uh, they're really heavy into publishing and research in top journals, and as long as the students aren't banging on the dean's door, you're okay. But at Utah State, if in the Huntsman School, if we're not great in the classroom and we're not great with the students, there's no place for us there. So it's a really intense focus on programs that will benefit students to have great careers and great success in their life. And it's just a great environment. Yeah, that's fun. Well, it's, it, I mean, we're both on the founders board, right? So we get to see behind the scenes a little bit um, and we get to be up there and, and be part of the Entrepreneurship Institute and see the impact that they're having on the businesses that are coming out of Utah State. Um, so I love it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think what you're building up there is really cool, and, and uh, we're, we're really big supporters of Utah State. Um, at this to have you guys. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. We want to go on one of these trips soon, which I hope we talk about here in a minute. But Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at this last board meeting, you talked about um, your next kind of step that you're taking with the university, and, and I'd love to get into that, um, this next project that you're working on. So we feel like successful entrepreneurship requires um, focus on the whole individual, the well-being of the entrepreneur. And we've noticed um, a lot of the literature showing how discouraged, depressed college students are. You know, the studies show that 21% um, of all adults 18 and over have some form of a, a diagnosable emotional or mental illness. And it's even worse at the high school and college level. You know, a recent study by the CDC showed that 42% of high school students say they feel persistently hopeless uh, and sad. 42%. And almost 22, half. Yeah, and 22% said they've had thoughts of suicide, and it's higher for the girls. It's almost 30%. And the same is true for college students. Um, 
about 60% of them in surveys, credible surveys, say that they're lonely most of the time. And so we thought, let's, let's take a peek at that and see if that can be part of the development of our you know, entrepreneurs out of Utah State. And we noticed the Yale, stud, the Yale course on happiness, that half the students of Yale have now taken that course. And at Harvard, there's one called uh, Happiness and Leadership. It's becoming popular. And so we kind of jumped on that and looked at that research and you know, really examined these two epidemics, an epidemic of despair in the country, and the second one's an epidemic of incivility. Uh, research shows that 90% of employees say they've seen an uncivil act at work, and 50% say they see them regularly. And if those that have seen those say that they immediately lose their motivation to be in the organization, they quietly quit, they start looking for a new job. Um, and so that's a huge problem as well. The, the um, epidemic of despair is costing about $210 billion in loss to the economy because people that are really struggling at work um, with emotional challenges, if, it, if the organization has 1,000 people, uh, if it's average, you'd have over 200 people that are struggling with emotional health. And so that also results in a, a, a significant drop in performance. The American Psychiatric Association says that they think it's a 35% drop in performance if someone is having a, an emotional challenge. So we thought, let's create a course. Let's take a real good look at this problem and see if we can create a course and find some concepts and principles that could improve uh, someone's happiness and state of mind in real time. And so that's the research that uh, we've been doing, that I've been doing for the last few years. And it's resulted in a, a high school course, a university course we're offering now at Utah State, and a, and a book and a corporate training course as well. What is the book called? It's called One People, One Planet, uh, Six Universal Truths for Being Happy Together is the name of the book. Very cool. And what's maybe one of the, we don't want to have any spoilers here, right? Because we, <laughs> we want to go out and get the book, but what, what is maybe one of the concepts that, that are taught in the book that's, uh, that's, that you've heard from the, you know, from the audience that uh, is really helpful and has made a big change in their lives? Well, we, you know, we focused on six things and picked these six things from three sources. We looked at the, you know, the religious texts, the ancient religious texts. What did the founders of the great world religions teach about personal happiness and civility in communities? We looked at philosophy. You know, what did the Asians and the Greeks and the Roman philosophers teach about happiness and civility? And then uh, to give it more credibility, we of course looked at the science, the latest research from positive psychology. And we picked six things that have been shown to have a, a huge impact on anxiety, depression, uh, happiness, relationships, civility, and they, they work in real time. So if, if I do one of them today, I'm going to have a better day today emotionally. I'll actually have a different brain chemistry today, and over time that affects our physiology. So all six of them have an impact, and I can talk about one or two of those. Yeah, we love it, yeah. So um, one of the big ones is to refrain from judging other people, to eliminate, to recognize and eliminate our biases that we have. So we have these very superficial impressions of people based on cues like looks and height and race and color and religion and political party. And because people are really complex and our brains aren't that complex, we see those superficial cues and then we fill in all the pieces. And, you know, research shows we have fabricated images of people that they're not ever complete usually not ac accurate and sometimes they're dead wrong 
And what those biases do is they separate us into groups. They, they limit the amount of people that we are going to make friends with and interact with and actually have positive experiences with in a work environment. And so we have our students take a really good look at some of the biases they have. They take the Harvard uh, Association tests online, which are free. Anyone can go take those. And it, it shows which groups you might have biases against. And then they kind of analyze where these have come from and, and create a plan to overcome those. And, and in the book, we tell stories of people that have overcome major uh, biases. Uh, so the book's just more readable. It's more fun to read. And I had the opportunity to spend a day with R. Shea Cooper, um, who grew up in Chicago in the midst of the gangs. He had to cross through, through three gang territories to get to his high school. And he'd walk over often dead bodies and blood in the streets, and he was chased and beat up if he wore his hat wrong and had wrong colors on. And uh, The school formed a rowing team, like a sculling team, and they tried to get rival gang members in these boats, and they weren't having it, you know. Yeah. But eventually they got a team and put them in the boats, and they realized that they were far more alike than they were different. They'd all been through trauma. They'd all had horrible experiences, and they hated each other, not because of any interaction they had had, but because of things they had heard about each other. So over time, they became best friends. These gang members became best friends from gangs that just hated each other. And the cool thing is they thought, well, if this works with rival gangs, uh, we think it'll work with the Chicago Police Department. So then they formed a team with the Chicago Police Department of big you know, white cops in the boat with these gang members. And the same thing happened. They realized, hey, we're more alike than we are different. They're great friends today. It's improved uh, some of the crime in their neighborhood. And the motto is that it, it's easy to hate from a distance. It's hard to hate up close. Mm. And so and they, all, they all got to find that swing too, don't that they? That to pull together, they don't yeah. make it. And yeah. so, you know, the point is, is that if you give up these biases, it's very freeing and you have a lot of people that, can meet and like and enjoy and have friends with and work more collaboratively in a team or in a work environment. So that's just one of the six. Um, I, love, I that. love that. It's I, easy to hate from a distance. It's hard to hate up close. Yeah. And There's social media bite. is doing that to all of us. You know, we're, we have more super superficial relationships than we've ever had, but we've lost the intimate relationships that, you know, we once had decades ago growing well, up in our neighborhood. I'm sure COVID had an impact on that too. COVID made it worse. Yeah, but the one one of the six that probably has the most immediate impact we, we call it do good deeds daily. It's random acts of kindness, and what the research shows is that if we get out of bed in the morning, and we look in the mirror, and we think, me, 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 me. How do I look? How's my hair? Am I wearing the right clothes? Did I say the right things yesterday? And you know, we're on this kind of treadmill of self-centeredness. And if we think about ourselves all day long, that all the emotions of being human are magnified, like anxiety and depression and, and uh, feelings of ill will. But if we can get up and say, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I, I can add value. I want to do something for someone else today. And you go out and you look for opportunities to, you know, maybe help shovel someone's walks or carry groceries or pay the toll of the car behind you or give up a seat on the bus or call a friend that's struggling and if your focus is outward, it actually changes your brain chemistry. Uh, there are more positive neurotransmitters, and it, it dampens, you know, cortisol and adrenaline. And uh, those things affect us physiology over time. So if you want to have a good day today, think more about others and go out and do some good deeds. And what it does is you feel better, 
And, you know, your day's not going to be perfect. You're still going to have problems, but you will feel better. And what you do is you realize that you have value, that, that you do have something to contribute. So those are the kinds of principles that we teach and uh, in these classes, whether it's a corporate workshop or a, a school classes, people have to practice these things. They, they record in the journal what they're doing and they write what it does for them. Mm. And it's just, you know, awesome. The students at the end of the semester um, just say, this has completely changed my life. I'm happier. I have more relationships than I've had. I've learned more about myself. Uh, so it's just been really a fun project for us. How long have you been teaching the class? So we launched it. We actually piloted it last year, this, this school year, and we've had about 100 students go through it now. And uh, we have 20 students in it right now during the summer, and so we're going to offer multiple sections of it next year. And uh, I'm working to get it approved as a general ed course that all students can take to meet some of their general education requirements. It's the hope. That's, That's awesome. That is great. How does a company take advantage of it? You said you do corporate trainings. So, yeah, we have a, uh, a corporate program, an online training program, where we've interviewed people all around the country and executives and entrepreneurs, and they talk about these concepts. We've interviewed psychologists and social workers. Uh, we've interviewed you know, religious founders, uh, uh, Buddhist monks and Islamic uh, you know, imams and, and uh, philosophers. Uh, we've interviewed ex-convicts, uh, people that were suicidal. So we have a real strong cast of characters and the participants watch, they watch a video and they read a chapter in the book and then they get together and talk about how does this apply in our work group and how does this apply on our team? And they practice it all week. And so the, it can be taught in a two-day workshop, but the ideal way is to have one module each week for six weeks where they have practice time on each concept and how it would apply to their their work team and it's just self-facilitated there's a lot of ways they can they can simply access the materials and do it themselves like a book club you know like this team will say hey let's let's read a chapter and watch the videos this week and let's get together and talk at lunch yeah or you can have a tra qualified trainer one of our trainers come in and teach the modules uh, or we can train the in-house trainer uh, this program, we're just finishing it right now. It's being launched this summer. So, oh heck yeah! So we're getting the so we don't have a scoop. big data. We yeah. don't have a big database yeah. of clients that have gone through it yet. No, that's great. If you're looking, if you have a pilot company that would like to go through it, we want to take a few companies through it, get some good feedback and testimonials, revise one last time, and then really launch it. So I can think of a lot of companies that would really enjoy going through this kind of thing. Maybe some of the listeners are thinking right now. Yeah. That they need to reach out. So how would they uh, do that? How would they, if they wanted to be part of that, uh, you know, pilot, how would they, how would they work? So our out? website is one people, one planet.com. Okay. Or they can go to my website, mikeglauser.com and, uh, uh, connect and, you know, we'd love to, mm -hmm. we, we just think that, that there's so much new research that if you focus on the whole individual at work, the culture is stronger. And culture has a huge impact on recruiting, retention, satisfaction, and organizational performance. Yeah. And so bringing everybody into a developmental activity that is more than just work skills, it, it really seems to have a positive impression. And some, some executives still feel like, you know, no, we don't want that. We just want to do work-related work training. But, I love that. I, and I love that it's all backed by science, too, and by data, right? Yeah. So it's all very found principles. 
Um, so it's it's an example of this that you're doing at the Center for Entrepreneurship and, and other things that are really setting you guys apart. How how do you differentiate what you're doing at Utah State versus what BYU is doing and UVU and U of U? They're all doing their own yeah. version of that. What what sets Utah State apart? So there are hundreds of centers for entrepreneurship now. If you don't have mm-hmm. one, you're you're out of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably 300. And BYU's is fabulous, and Utah's is fabulous. They've been around for 30 years, and they're great. Um, when we launched our center, um, we really had to think about what is our brand. You know, we didn't want to chase BYU and Utah. Um, and we thought, you know, their emphasis is kind of on uh, – getting funding, uh, private equity or venture funding. The gold standard is to get uh, create some technology, get some funding, maybe even go public someday. And everyone's working towards the gazelles. But the reality is, is the chance that any of our entrepreneurs are going to create a gazelle, or it's not very good. In fact, we, we did some research one time that if, if you played football in high school, you have a better chance of playing in the NFL than you do starting a venture-backed company that will go public. <laughs> so it just doesn't happen. But everyone wants that to happen. And we thought, well, you know, Utah's 99.9% small business. There's 300,000 small businesses. And, you know, they might have 20 employees or 50. They might do 5 million or 20 million. And so we, we said, we're going we're gonna to help create the kinds of businesses that exist in Utah. And we would love to have the gazelles. And we'd love to have venture-backed companies. And we'd love to have a few go public. But our companies uh, that come out of our center are more like, you know, Danique, Tyler Tolson's company. Yeah. He sells notebooks. Mm-hmm. We have a garbage company and, and all kinds of basic companies that scale and create jobs. And so we, we decided that that would be more of our focus, um, the small to medium-sized business where people are doing what they love to do or where they want to do it. Very cool. Rather than chasing the, the great programs at Utah and BYU, they're really good programs. Yeah, very cool. And I love too that um, what you've you've determined what your focus is and and your audience right for those that are out listening and they you know that's the that's the path they want to take but then there's also this core element to the center where you're helping uh, uh, budding entrepreneurs out in the world as well with your seed program. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that at all? Sure. So our seed program is our what we feel is our capstone program. We. We call it the learn twice model. So they learn about entrepreneurship in the classroom, and then they go out into the world and actually teach it to people that live in poverty, and it, it really sinks in. They come back with a super set of skills. So SEED stands for Small Enterprise Education and Development, and we recruit about 100 students every year from all majors. We've had, I think, 53 majors participate. And so they're engineers, they're graphic designers, they're psychologists, they're even music majors. We have nursing students go. And so we, we recruit them about a year in advance, and then we work with them in a classroom and teach them the skills of entrepreneurship and uh, small business consulting and microfinance, basically. And then they go out into the world and actually live for a full semester. Uh, and we have partners that bring us clients to teach, uh, they all live in poverty, mostly they're females, but not, not always. And then they teach these skills, and we're linked with micro-lending organizations and other organizations that provide other types of support. But we do all the business training, and we do all the mentoring. So if you look at, you know, poverty alleviation is a, is a huge, huge challenge. It's very complicated, and there's a lot of factors involved. There's health factors, you know, clean water and clean food and education and, and so on. But... One of the main things is you got to increase household income. 
And so that's what we focus on. Our goal is every family we work with to double their household income uh, as quickly as possible. It might take three months or it might take a year. But we've had really great success helping families go from two or three hundred U.S. dollars a month to five or six hundred or even a thousand dollars a month. So we're there. We're committed. We're there full time. Every semester, one group of students leave. They leave. The next group comes, and we keep careful uh, notes, accurate notes of where we're at with each client. And so we work with the Catholic Church and the LDS Church and Operation Underground Railroad and any any organization that can feed us people to teach. And then micro-lending organizations like Mentors International that can provide uh, small loans if and when they're needed. So that's kind of how it works. We love it. We wish we had room for more students, but we're in, right now we're in Peru, we're in Mexico, we're in the Dominican Republic, we're in Cambodia, we're in uh, the Philippines, and we're in Ghana, East, in East Africa. So cool. I, I love wanna, that mission. Yeah, I want to say at the board meeting that the couple that presented went to Peru and they just talked about how impactful it was on them. Like they made a big difference on the lives of the people that were down there, but they talked about how much it was going to change their life and their perspective on how they wanted to start a company. I think they were both students in the Entrepreneurship Institute. So getting ready to graduate and we're excited about the prospects of, of starting their own business back here. So I know it's having an impact on both sides. Yeah, uh, that couple, Scott and Paige, and Scott was a uh, finance major in Paige's in outdoor product design and they went to Terrapoto, Peru and worked with uh, people in the Andes Mountains and the farm, farmers and, and had a, just had a great experience. Um, the students, you know, we're an educational institution so our main priority is the students. We want to give the students a, a real life-changing, a transformational experience, which it does, but we also want to uh, do good work. We want to help the people that we teach. That's an equal priority and our students come back and uh, they usually tell us two things. They, they say, I didn't realize I hit the jackpot in life. <laughs> I won the lottery. And then they say, I want to I spend my time being a giver, not a taker. I want to do more of this. And then they get, they get great, great jobs. Um, they, some of them build companies, uh, very successful companies. Uh, others get great jobs. Uh, where the organization is so impressed with what they did that they want that kind of a character in their organization. Yeah, I'm sure the perspective it provides is just so valuable. Um, well, you have dedicated your life uh, in different kind of roles to entrepreneurship. Um, and I'm sure in those various capacities, you've learned a lot of lessons. Is there one lesson that kind of sticks out that you would like to share with the audience, you know, early stage founders that are just getting started that uh, you wish you would have known as a younger Mike? Yeah, actually part of our curriculum, um, the main part of our curriculum is to interview uh, successful entrepreneurs. And we've interviewed and filmed over a thousand entrepreneurs. And we use those interviews, uh, the footage from those interviews in our courses. And so we've identified a number of things that seem to be in common to those that succeed that don't exist for the, to those that fail. You know, the differences that make the difference. And regardless of the industry, these things seem, seem to pop up. And, you know, one of the, one of the first ones, it's, it's kind of trite, you hear it so much, but uh, the successful entrepreneurs really have a, an important engaging purpose. They have a reason for doing it that is more than just making money. They want to change the world in some small way. They want to create jobs. They want to be more creative and more artistic. And uh, 
you know building companies is a challenge. Uh, there's a lot of hard times. Everything nah, costs piece more. of cake, right? <laughs> Walk in the park. <laughs> Mine have never been easy. You're better than I am. No, no. I'm totally joking. It's, it's a universal theme. No, everything theme. takes longer, costs That's more, right. earns less. Right. And if you don't have this driving purpose that, you know, I really want to do this. This is important to me that they just quit. In fact, we, we randomly, of these thousand entrepreneurs, we'll pull out a hundred randomly and analyze their reasons for starting the business. And on average, we'll see three out of 100 that said, I just want to make money, three out of 100. And so purpose, what it does is it, it, it fuels the passion and the perseverance. Um, another big one is you got to start a true business opportunity, not just an idea. There's a huge difference between an idea and an opportunity. And so we've identified some hurdles that you have to make it over to get it to be a true business opportunity from the idea stage. And if they get to that stage, the probability of success goes from 50-50 to 80%, 80 or 90%. Um, frugality is really important. Um, you know, most of these are bootstrapped initially. You create a minimal viable product. You, you go do some experiments. You test it. Uh, we say make a few, sell a few, learn a lot. Make a few more, sell a few more, learn a lot. And you keep pivoting. And you can do it with cash flow. You don't necessarily need to get a lot of money. In fact, Josh Coates, who started Mosey Systems and now is the CEO at Instructories, he, he started some companies with too much funding and uh, they didn't work. And he just says, too much money makes you stupid, is his famous quote. And so they learned to finagle and bootstrap, but it's all about, you got to be out selling and, and then building the team and then phenomenal customer service. And there's, so there's a handful of things that you know, if those things are present, your odds of success go up significantly. I really like that one, too. Okay, so we'll say it again. Make a few, sell a few, learn a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that I one's great. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Well, um, this has been fun, and we appreciate you taking the time. Again, it's always fun to hear from the folks up north in Logan and what you're doing at Utah State, and um, lots of great entrepreneurs up there, and lots of synergy. I mean, you could feel the energy when you're on campus, can't you? It's a great place. It's yeah. really an unusual place. Yeah. So is there anything else that we haven't touched on in the podcast, Mike, that you'd like to let the audience know about that maybe other things you're working on or insights you've had or anything else that, that would be helpful that you want to share? You know, I just want to always want to emphasize how important the skills of entrepreneurship are. It's not always just about starting a for-profit company, but it's, it's uh, problem solving, it's innovation, it's mostly value creation, and the skills can be used in a nonprofit, a for-profit, a school, or a church. And I think we need these skills more than ever with the displacement of jobs due to the rapid acceleration of technology. You know, Oxford University did a kind of a now famous study. Uh, they took the 702 world occupations and said half of them will be gone by 2034 due to technology. And so, you know, we, we have smart cars, delivery drones, artificial intelligence, self-serve checkout, uh, online schools, and, and we are seeing jobs uh, eroded. And uh, we, have, we tell our students, you, you need to be able to create your own job. You need to be able to find a need in a marketplace and create something that meets that need. And, and even if you never start a business, you have to be prepared to offer those skills to the world or you might struggle with this new future future of work that we're seeing create your own job i really like that great advice cool so we we think 
everyone should take our minor in entrepreneurship regardless of what the major is so they have that skill set going into their career it would be helpful yeah i mean i grew up my dad owned his own business uh so i saw entrepreneurship and i saw the value of it and i went and got a business degree because of the struggles i saw my dad just having the entrepreneurship side and so i think yeah balance of those two things is just incredibly valuable and it is applicable to really any industry or any discipline you go into. You're going to need to know how to to run the backside of whatever that is, you know, the business yeah. elements, you know, so very critical for so many people. Well, and people that add value do well in corporations. They get promoted and mm-hmm. they want to, the company wants to hang on to them. And That's right. It's not, just, it's not just fulfilling a role. It's figuring out how you can always add value, make things better. That's right. I think your mindset just changes, you know. Yeah. I mean, the... The way you look at an organization and the way you can approach your work changes if you have an entrepreneurial mindset. And the way you solve problems. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Well, thanks again for being with us on the Midnight Founders Podcast. We wish you the best of luck in all the cool things you're doing. Um, Hopefully, uh, a lot of folks can grab a copy of your book. I'm assuming it's on Amazon. Yeah. Get it just about anywhere. Okay. Great. Thanks for having me. It was awesome to talk with you. Good to have you here. Take care. The Midnight Founders Podcast is a podcast about entrepreneurship that is hosted by CB Vault and Rev Road. CB Vault is the entrepreneur arm of Central Bank. And Rev Road is a venture services firm where companies come to grow. Thanks for listening to us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is AJ and Jake signing out.